Let's pray once again. God, as we turn to the preaching of your word, we pray that the truth will take root inside of us. Father, we cannot read your word and take it in on our own. We cannot submit on our own. So we ask that you will do a mighty work today among your people. Father God, we pray that the truth of your word will resonate deep and then cause us to see you in all the truth. Help us to see what you have revealed about yourself. Help us to see us for ourselves and who we are. And may we come to receive and understand your grace and your mercy. Father, may we see you in the power of your glory this morning. God, I pray that you will do a wondrous work among your people. That you will cause us to believe and to live under your word. Help us to see you and come into your presence through your word this morning and be filled with the joy of it. God, we pray that as you do it for us, that you'll do it for other gospel-centered, Bible-believing churches in our area. Father, we pray that all of your people this morning will bask in your glory, that preachers today here in our own area will preach your word rightly and clearly and it will not fall on deaf ears but your people will be edified today and strengthened that we will be filled with joy and strengthened to continue on in your goodness caused by you and your righteousness God we pray that you'll do it for our sister churches those who partner with us, those who support us, Covenant Community Church, Foundation Church, North Stafford Baptist and Stafford Baptist Churches, Father, like-minded churches today. Father, we pray that you will strengthen all of us and through your people, you will do a wondrous work in our area. Father, may the light of the gospel go forth today from each pulpit to the ears of your people to the lost and may you gather more sheep for your glory and all of our good this morning father we think of the turks this morning an unreached people group over 56 million people who need to hear the good news of jesus christ father we pray that you will send out more missionaries brothers and sisters hopefully from this fellowship one day who will reach the lost those who need to hear the truth of who Christ is. Father, may churches be planted among the Turks. May the truth of Your Word build them up and guard them. And may they then proclaim the good news throughout the land of Turkey and that we will have more brothers and sisters. Father, we pray that You'll be with this new church plant beginning in September up in D.C. Father, may you prepare them now for the difficult times that are to come. May the truth of your word sustain them as it has sustained us and may it propel them forward. And may they do nothing else except point others to Jesus Christ through your word. Father, grant them that privilege and that blessing today. Lord, we pray as we have all month for the Guthrie's. 
Lord, sustain them in their work. Strengthen them today to continue to translate Your Word into the mother language there. Lord, help them as You help us. Be with us now. It's in Your name. Amen. Last week, we went through the genealogy of God's people. And in that genealogy, God's people were identified. And that actually prepares us for today's message. It could have been a two-part message. But today, we're going to be focusing in chapter 8. But I wanted to remind you of that genealogy of the gathering of God's people. And then we'll see what God does. In his book, Revival and Revivalism, Ian Murray describes what went on in American churches from the first great awakening to the second great awakening and then shortly thereafter. He writes this, and I'm I'm reading from his book here. In the last 40 years of the 18th century, a new view of revival came generally to replace the old. In a distinctly different phrase in the understanding, the subject began. A shift in the vocabulary was a pointer to the nature of the change. Seasons of revival became revival meetings. Instead of being, quote, surprising, they might now be announced in advance. End of the quote. Murray goes on to point out that both spiritual awakenings were driven by the preaching that heralded the truths of Scripture. They pointed to the pure holiness of God and the massive weight of our sin. But as time went on, what seemed to be a genuine response to the special working of God morphed into regular evangelistic techniques that produced immediate outward reactions to the gospel message. The anxious bench, as it's sometimes been called, having altar calls, pointing people out in public prayer, warning those listening to respond immediately or else lose a chance to repent, all all became popular. And some of which, and we can say probably generally most of this, continues in a lot of churches today. Now I'm not pointing this out to take anything away from what happened in the first great awakening or even the second great awakening. Genuine conversions took place in both of those spiritual revivals. It is clear that widespread spiritual renewal occurred. But what began as revival turned into what is tagged as revivalism now. It becomes a a natural, regular way of doing church or, or ministry. Revival has become a buzzword throughout America. Today, many churches hold annual revivals in hopes that a revival will take place among God's people. These churches have good intentions with that. I'm not here to throw a rock at at churches this morning. They have good intentions. Every believer, every true believer of God wants 
revival. We want a genuine outpouring of the Spirit. We hope and pray that God will move mightily across the land and a revival will take place, but not as a product of human engineering or coercive techniques. We want what David Helm calls work done of God, done by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, in a world gone awry. We want to grow and strengthen our church through the means, through the ordinary means of grace that God has always used. And that's through the reading of His Word with the right preaching of the Gospel and His Spirit changing hearts and minds. True spiritual awakening cannot be conjured up by man. It is a gift of God. We want and we humbly ask God to graciously lead us by His Word and live and minister and love not according to the ways of the world or to a way that a man that seems right to a man, but by the Word of God. That's revival. It cannot happen without emphasizing who God is and what He says. You see, the more we learn about God, the more there is to worship Him And there's more of us to repent of. Today, there doesn't seem to be an emphasis on God's Word as it's written. But instead, it's on anecdotes that inject positive vibes or affirmation for better feelings about ourselves. In a true revival, there is deep conviction of sin. Not just outward behavioral changes or superficial refreshment or invigoration of ourselves. At the preaching of the Word of God, hearts are penetrated to the very core of a person. Sin that was once hidden and ignored by us is revealed and it's dealt with. The reality of who a person is And what they are become clear. They become undone. Guilt. It feels like a thousand pound weight on our back that we can't lift off. And it bears down on us. And sorrow and grief for our personal sin, for our own sin, overtakes a person. And the person becomes heartbroken and humbled. The working of God through His Word does this. The Hebrew writer reminds us the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And upon this, when it feels like we are being pressed down and to the very depths of the earth and there's nothing we can do, God affects internal change. 
Walking an aisle doesn't do this. Saying the sinner's prayer doesn't do this. Committing oneself to try harder or doing better doesn't do this. When God takes over, as J.I. Packer describes it, when he makes his ever presence felt in ways not experienced before, hearts and minds become overwhelmed with his holiness and his grace. Sin is confessed and repentance is sought. Christ is cherished. The soul is then awakened and purified. And forgiveness and renewal is received. That grief and that guilt, the mourning of our sin turns into laughter and sorrow becomes rejoicing. It's the Word. It's through the Word that this happens. Not through some pattern that we walk through. The Scriptures are central to all of this. And what's true for the first and second awakening and what's needed today is the same for what happened in Nehemiah's day. God's people were awakened in a revival of God's Word. What happened to them is what we need. A people who know God truly and intimately through His own words. To know someone, we don't make up things about them. You don't get to know them in a real way. We listen to them. We learn about them. And when we do this, when we do this with God, we become a people who love God and worship Him for who He is. The revival in our text was not an awakening that was stirred up by man. The leaders prepared for it, but God stirred hearts through the reading of His Word and the preaching of Ezra. Nothing else. Nehemiah takes a back seat in our passage as the Word of God is read and the people gathered are transformed from the reading of it. Last time we gathered together, the walls were finished. But the walls don't make a city. The people who inhabit it make the city. And the city of God must be full of a people who reflect Him and who live under Him. The real work in the city is about to begin. Preservation and renewal of the people, which I'll remind you is the theme of the book of Nehemiah, will see this happen by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. That preservation that we have talked about as the theme and that renewal that we've been walking up through through the first seven chapters. We've been pretty much preparing for what's getting ready to take place here and then what continues through the end of the book. The people inhabit the city. We live, we work all for God, but it's God who renews a right spirit and brings great seasons of joy and jubilee. If we want revival today, if we want a spiritual renewal to happen in our day, right here in King George, in our own church, then like God's people then, we must be a people 
who are in the Scriptures, who feed on them, who come face to face with the living God who gave them. And we will have and we will witness renewed joy in the Lord. This must be done in God's way and in His power. We cannot fake it. We cannot conjure up. We cannot build up anything on our own. This must be God doing it. We do not believe in revivalism here. We do not hold revivals. We pray for them and God gives them. So how does God do it? We know that His Spirit works in mighty and strange ways. We're told, God tells us, His ways are not our ways. So we can't fully answer how God does it. But we do know that the Word of God must be at the center of the people. We must become familiar with its passages. We must be a people of the book. Ignorance of God's Word leads to denial of God Himself. Shallow appreciation of His Word results in forming a God in our own image. Lack of His truth warps us and buries us in darkness. And not just one of us immersed in God's Word. It's not going to happen for God's people if one of us is searching the Scriptures and seeking to understand it. If you depend on me or anyone else here to have a heart for the truth of God's Word, then your own heart will dry up. You will be parched and become like a barren land. Even if you sit here every Sunday morning, it's like going to a buffet and watching everyone else eat. We all have to gather as a people who desire and hunger for God's Word. Notice with me how often the word people occurs in our passage. If you counted it up like I did, you'll see the word people occurs 13 times in these 12 verses. All the people occurs nine of those times. Not just the leaders, not just one individual who is geared towards study. The people are coming together to the Word of God. And as a people who want revival, as a people who want revival in our own hearts and in our church and in this community, what then is our part? If God does the revival, what do we do then? The worst thing we could do is decide, Pastor Jim says, God brings revival, so we'll just wait until God moves. That'd be the worst thing that we could do. That's not what we have here either. This is not God's way, nor will you ever hear it from this pulpit. This text is for our edification and our renewal just as much as every other spiritual awakening. So we must be a people who seek to understand the Word. That's what happens in verses 1 through 8. Nehemiah goes off stage. The people gather. Ezra the priest reads the law, read the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, and the Levites make sure everyone 
understands it. Now let's stop right there and let's let that sink in just for a second. It's not enough to know that there is a Bible. It's not enough to have a Bible and it be covered in dust. We must open the book. We must read God's Word and we must look for God and seek to understand what He's telling us. We must ask ourselves, what does the passage say about our great God? What is God telling us? This orients our thoughts toward Him. It's the reason God gave us His Word to tell us about Himself. It's how we get to know Him as He wants to be known. Every part of the Scripture tells us something about Him that God wants us to know. Now it is possible that the Bible is read without enjoying this closer communion with God. John Piper has stated, we must seek to understand the Bible's meaning and we must pause to contemplate what we understand and by the Spirit to feel and express the appropriate response of the heart. Is this what happens when you read God's Word? Do you seek to understand what God is telling you about Himself? Are you enjoying this close relationship with God that comes through understanding Him through His Word? You see, it won't happen otherwise. God's Word must be understood if it is to transform us and awaken us to the glories of God. You see, that's what's so damaging about the Jesus Calling series. In all the self-help books that's disguised as Christian literature, God's Word is either not enough for the author, they confess that, or they use scriptural passages to pump up their readers and it becomes about the reader, not about God. These eight verses tell us the men and women gathering for the reading of the Word and it's being explained clearly so that the people understood the reading. Nothing else. Nothing more. The Word is all we need. And one point to emphasize is how this puts the importance on me. And anyone who stands in this pulpit, whoever stands here to ensure the reading of the Word is exposited, that it's exposed clearly in what it says, to give this church a sense of God's meaning so that you understand. How does understanding come then? I as the preacher have a role, I have a, I have a responsibility to have a due diligence in preparing and in preaching. But remember, the emphasis in this passage is on the people, not on the preacher. To understand, there must be a desire for the Word. We have to hunger for it. Man does not live by bread alone, but by the very word that comes from the mouth of God. God speaks to us. He feeds us through His word given right here, right here in our hands. He feeds us with this. Notice in verse 1, the people gathered as what? as one man in the square. There must be a unified longing 
for God's Word. They all wanted to hear God speak through His Word. Now remember last week, I told you this was 50,000 people who were gathered and were told they gathered at the water gate from early morning, from dawn until midday. Think of that. That's six hours, 50,000 people came to hear the Word of God, the five books of the Bible, the first five to be in red. They're standing for hours in the square at the water gate listening to the reading of God's Word. They're not bothered by it. They're not looking at the place of the sun to see how much time has gone by, how much time is left so I can go and do my own thing. They are taking in God's Word. And imagine where this is at. We think the summers here in Virginia are hot. They're standing in the the heat of the sun for hours and hours and they're saying, give me more of God's Word. They're not making excuses for their attention span. The opposite is actually being said. It says they were attentive to it. They want to take it in and and they want to learn. Their thoughts are on the inspired Word. They are being completely enthralled by the Word. They even tell Ezra, bring the book. The people are not dragging their feet. No one is pulling them along. They're not begrudgingly going through the motions. They're telling their leaders, teach us. Give me more of God. Oh, that we would be a people that so yearn for God's Word that we have such a desire for God's Word that we ask for it. Not to be entertained not for self-fulfillment, but to hear from God. Keep in mind, these people were not listening to the New Testament. How easy it is for us to set aside the Bible for a period of time and we go to what we're familiar with and what's easier to read and we go to the New Testament. That didn't exist at this time. They weren't listening to things about their day either. The first five books of Moses were written a thousand years before these people. It was already an old book. These people weren't around for the great flood. They weren't part of the exodus. The pillar of fire didn't go before them. They didn't witness the conquering of the land. The covenants were already given and they were already established. And the people stayed. They were taking all this in. How many times have we heard discussions about the relevancy of the Bible? How many times have we said, we don't, or have we heard that the Old Testament isn't for us? We don't need that. We're a New Testament church. This book is such an old book, It's, it's outdated. How often is Scripture forced into our modern ways, but not on this day? The people wanted God's Word and it is written. It's like they couldn't get enough. How foolish we are to think that our one-liners and our inspirational quotes of the day will ever give us what we so desperately need. 
many, many people. May we be a people, all of God's people. May we be a people who dive deep into God's word like a scuba diver with eternal air tanks on our back, swimming in the depths of Scripture, taking it in as it is, drinking of the eternal truths and enjoy the God who gave it to us. Understanding begins with wanting God's Word as it's written. It takes commitment of time and to learning as it is. Notice also that this was planned. The leaders and the people didn't just wing it. They prepared for it. A wooden platform was built for the reading. Men were made available to help the people. The platform was made for Ezra, who's preaching, so that he could stand above the people. Everyone could see him, but that is, this is more than just about having a view of the one speaking. This is a symbol of the red word of God having authority as the people are listening under it. This is why we have pulpits in the church service. Receiving God's word this way is an act of worship to the authority of God himself and the importance that he sets on his own words. The proclamation of the Scriptures are authoritative. One message being given for all the people to listen and understand. This is God's way. This is His plan of renewal. The service began with a blessing and a prayer. And the people respond with, Amen, Amen. And then look with me at the rest of verse 6. After saying amen, the people lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Raising their hands, bowing their heads and worship of the Lord. These are normally pictures that we have that we put with music, with musical worship. These people are responding to the preaching of the word with worship. It was planned by God for the preaching of His Word to be an act of worship. Today, there's such a misunderstanding of what worship truly is. We don't need a worship band to worship God. We don't even need music to worship God. All we need is to be drawn to Him by His Word. And we will worship Now, nothing wrong with music. I want to make sure that's clear. Nothing wrong with music. Music touches the soul. It inspires and it soothes. But music in a worship service is not the most important aspect to the service. What is most important is God's presence as we take in His Word. We can worship God simply by reading His words because they come from Him. Please, please don't think the sermon comes after worship. It is central to worship. 
for the music portion to be worshipful even, for it to have any meaning in the worship service, it either has to be Scripture itself set to a tune, or it has to be based on the truths that God shares in His Word. And that makes the music worshipful. This shows us what happens in a worship service every Sunday. What truly moves people, what awakens them to the true reality of who God is, of who they are, and what life is for, is not anything we do in the service. The power of God's Word that is living and active is what changes people and brings them to the all-encompassing view of God's glory. After Ezra preaches and the men with him, along with the Levites, explain the reading, the people come to understand. They are enlightened to the spiritual reality of the great God. There is nothing else on that platform. There are no props. There's no stunts or gimmicks. There's no light shows or lasers twirling about. Nothing else is used to keep the people's attention. Just the preaching of the Word and the working of the Spirit. Verse 8 gives it how it should be. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Why would we ever change what God has put in place for renewal and revival? Why would we ever want to change it? Next, in verses 9 through 12, look at what happens with the people understanding God's word. You see, simply understanding what God says is not the goal, there's more. What comes when we grasp the meaning of God's word? Revival takes place. Look down at verse 12 with me, please. All the people, so this is after they understand, after the preaching, after the explanation, after the people understand, this takes place. All the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Taking in God's word and understanding it leads to rejoicing God. There's the revival. I wanted you to see that. Becoming smarter in God's word is not the goal. What we end up knowing about God in our heads should act like a fuel line to our hearts that makes it full of love and worship and praise of our great God. Rejoicing in our great glorious God is the consummation of reading His Scriptures. Our hearts are fulfilled and there's celebration as we learn of God and we submit to the authority of His written Word. And we always talk about relationship with God, as we should. We always talk about relationship with God. We need to see that there's no other way to grow in relationship in Christ 
than to read the book that was written by Him and is given so that we may know Him. We know that the rejoicing of the people is in the God who is the marvelous God. They heard Him. Now think back to what the first five books contain and what they were listening to. They heard of Him promising to defeat Satan and all that's evil. Of God rescuing His people from our own sin and wretchedness. And this God has done that through Jesus Christ. We read of this rejoicing and we know that it's true because of Jesus. We rejoice because of Him. We can join them and sing and celebrate because Jesus has freed us and is giving us Himself. Now I know I went right to the rejoicing in God to show you what true revival is for. I know I skipped some, some verses. But what you and I need to see is what happens for this joy to come. There is something that happens between understanding what God says and this joy in our great God. There's something that happens there in the middle. After understanding the Word, the people first began to weep. They were convicted and grieving over their sin in the presence of a holy God. That's what happens when anyone is confronted with the truth of themselves. We are undone. We are sinners who deserve nothing but the just wrath of God. There is nothing we can do. We are wicked to the core inside of our own selves. That's what the people understood. That is why they, there was mourning and, and crying. But their sorrow turns into joy because the strength of the Lord upholds the justice of God and the grace of God. Both are proclaimed and sustained together. The faithfulness of God and the forgiveness of God are maintained in the consuming power of God. The people listened to who God is. They understood sin and it broke them completely. And they were told of God's mercy for all who repent and they are awakened. That's revival. Revival was given. This is the gospel message, isn't it? That's what the gospel message is all about. It's the same message from the Pentateuch all the way to Revelation. God's message to us doesn't change. He has done it through His Son, Jesus Christ. And this is cause for great rejoicing. If your eyes have been opened to who Jesus is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is sin within and it, and it breaks you and you're, you're knocked down. You can't get up on your own, but then there's Jesus who has done this for you. He has upheld God's justice that you deserve. And He has freely given you the mercy of God. All in the power that He has. You want revival in your soul? You want revival in your family? 
you want it in our church and in the community, then see God's word as a gift to us. For us to understand and to have joy in Him. Take it in. Feed on it. And be alive to the great God of this book through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.